Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. You created like a share bag button. It will automatically like open up your email and there's a, there's a pre-written email that explains what the product is, how it works. Hey, my name is Felix. I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each and every week, you'll learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn when you should spin off and launch a separate brand, how to use your mission statement on a day-to-day basis, and how to advertise when you're selling to teenagers. Today, I'm joined by Mary Rose Sutton from Nixteen. Nixteen created the Oh No Proof Underwear because they believe your period shouldn't stop you from doing awesome stuff. And the brand was started in 2017 and based out of Toronto. Welcome, Mary Rose. Hi, Felix. Thanks for having me on the podcast. So we were talking a little bit off air about the the sister company that is associated with Nixteen. Can you go into the history of that and how it's related to the Nixteen brand? So yeah, definitely. Um, Basically, Nixteen came from Nixwear, which we kind of refer to as like our big sister company. Um, And it was started five years ago by Joanna Griffith. So she came up with the idea for leak-proof underwear when she was having a conversation with her mom. And her mom told her that um, many women, after they have children, experience light bladder leaks. And um, she kind of saw this as an opportunity to create a product that could help address this issue so that women could feel more confident and secure um, after they have children and not to deal with like any embarrassment around like having a bladder leak. So she came up with this product and launched Nixwear. And there's like a really big story behind Nixwear and how they became so successful over the last five years. But basically um, throughout that time, they uh, developed this like nice like core audience of um, women. A lot of them were moms and um, they would say two things to her. They'd be like, I love the leak-proof underwear, and um, I wish it existed when I was a teenager. And then the other thing that they said is, like, I have a teenage daughter, and I'm actually buying this product for my teenage daughter in your smallest size because she just got her period, and she's feeling super anxious and insecure about it, and she's worried about period leaks, which is, like, a very big thing for teenagers growing up, and it's something that you read about in magazines and books um, when you're around the age that you're getting your period, and something that can, like, give people a lot of anxiety and they almost become like terrified about it. Um, and they were like, this product's amazing for my teenager. She, she really loves it. I wish you guys made it in smaller sizes because, um, girls are starting a period sometimes like nine years old. So that's while Nixwear was, um, going and it was becoming more successful year over year. We always like, Hey, we would love to create this product for teens eventually. So in June, we finally, um, launched the product and the new brand, which is Nixteen. Got it. So Nixwear was the first company that created the technology for this kind of underwear and then was serving a different market than what it's currently serving in the Nixteen brand, which is more focused on teenagers. So Nixwear was started, the technology existed, the product existed already, people were using it, or people were buying it for for for, for their daughters or people that, that were younger. And then you guys decided that this made sense to target that audience as well, that the younger audience because they were getting a lot of use, a lot of value out of the product as well. So you decided to spin, basically create a new brand and sell that, essentially the the same technology to a different audience? 
Yeah, exactly. Like people were already buying it and using it. And we just thought like, oh, like, you know, they're already buying it for the teenagers. So how many other people are out there don't mm-hmm. know about it yet that we could we could potentially introduce them to this amazing product, too. So um, it was a really easy decision to launch the second brand because we sort of had some validation from our right. existing customers already. Now, why not launch it as a, a product line or a product underneath Nixwear directly rather than having a new brand, um, a whole new brand called Nix Team? What was the what was the decision behind that? So that's a good question and, and one that we like really debated a lot before we actually launched the line. And you know, we went back and forth on the two ideas, but um, ultimately we actually like spoke to a lot of teenagers themselves um, and we wanted this to be a product that they really, really wanted to buy for themselves. We didn't just want their moms to go and buy it for mm-hmm. them. We wanted them to feel excited about this and be like, this is a really big innovation. Um, this is something that's going to help me. And um, it's a lot easier to communicate with teenagers when you're speaking their language and you're speaking directly to them. Like, they think very differently than their parents because they're from a completely different generation. Mm-hmm. Um, different things appeal to them. And we wanted that kind of message, voice, and language to be all over our website and our brand so that this wasn't just something that their mom's going to give them and they might not think it's cool and they may not understand it or why they should use it. We want them to come to that conclusion themselves and feel empowered to buy it for themselves. Got it. So a lot of, I think, uh, companies will, won't go to this extent and they might just uh, maybe change up the product page or create a specific landing page on that single brand and market it and create messaging, targeting different demographic. But you guys decided that it's, it's that important that they want, that, that you found that the messaging and the marketing and the appeal and the look of the entire brand is so different between the moms versus the daughters that it made sense to create a separate entity and, and market it is separately. So what was the process behind creating this this separate brain? And once you as a team sat down and decided that the, the best way forward is to create a new brand, um, what, 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 what what's involved in something like that? So it's like it is quite a long process, um, especially if you want it to be a very strong brand and one that can ultimately like last a long time. So we didn't just launch Nixteen to just launch this new product line and to create the Mm -hmm. same product, but in team sizes, like we have pretty big ambitions for where we want this um, brand to go. We want it to have longevity and really to stand on its own. So we put a lot of time and thought into like what our brand message was and um, how we describe the product to our audience and who our audience is like teenagers are, there's so much difference between different types of teenagers and which kinds of teenagers we think are going to be our first customers Um, so there was a lot of thought going into like the brand message, um, that we did internally. And then when it came to like executing the creative, we worked with, um, uh, an agency called Leo Burnett. Um, we had like a personal connection to them through the founder. Um, and we've like known them for a long time and they've done a lot of cool work for different companies, um, that are advertising to young people like teenagers and Gen Z. So, it was really an easy choice to work with them. And, and we were like super impressed and happy with the results. So they worked on the kind of like the visual brand identity and then um, some of our early advertisements that we launched with. 
Got it. So when you do launch a separate brand, I'm assuming it's not as easy as just repeating the exercises that you went through the first time with the first brand. What surprised you along the way that you maybe thought was going to be easier than, than it turned out to be when launching a separate brand? In case there are any other listeners out there that are thinking about doing this, where they have kind of two diverse groups of demographics and they want to serve both of them, what surprises did you did you guys run into along the way? Well, I think I was surprised by like, um, I think how like easy it was in some ways, because when you launch a first brand from nothing, like Nixware emerged from nothing. So you have to really invent something completely new and think about how you're going to stand out. And when you start off, like I, I was working for an expert previously more in the early days of the company. So I remember like, you don't even know what you need to have a brand. You mm-hmm. don't know like what, like you think you need a logo and like maybe some colors, but you don't realize you actually need packaging. You need these emails to match. You need a social media strategy and you need to know which kinds of platforms you're going to post on. So having already done a lot of the work, like it was quite easy to launch a second brand in terms of like, we learned some mistakes already. We knew what we had to do. Like we almost had buckets to fill. Like what are we going to do on social media? What's our website going to look like? Um, What's our email communication going to look like? And you can just go through and slowly check off those boxes. Um, The hardest part is always just coming up with that initial like brand message and brand identity of like, it's kind of like the heart of your brand. It's not just the colors and like the way it looks, but it's actually like, why you exist and what you stand for. And that's always really, really hard because it's personal. Um, and and that, that takes the longest time. But once you have that figured out and you know why why your business exists, the rest of the stuff, it's just, it's it's like kind of fun almost. Yeah. <laughs> Picking out how it, everything's going to look is actually the fun part. If you're a creative person, it, it can be really fun. Got it. So it actually was easier than, than the launching the first time because you could take the lessons that you learned from the first uh, branch and apply it towards the, the, the new one. Now, you mentioned the brand messaging and brand identity as the hardest pieces, and I think that's hard when you start a, brand, a new brand versus a, uh, trying to build on, on, on an older one or an existing one. Can you give any tips on that? Like, What, are, what is the approach that, that you as a team took to create the messaging and the identity behind the next teen brand? Yeah, so we had to kind of find a balance. So we knew that um, we definitely wanted um, teenagers to think this is cool. So um, we we like spent a lot of time thinking about that. But at the same time, we knew that this has to like appeal to parents because a lot of times parents are the ones who are actually, you know, taking out the credit card and going to buy the product for their teenager who wants it. And we have all of our Nixware customers. So we had to find this like interesting space which is like um, somewhere between teenagers and parents. And once we knew those were our two like demographics, we could take elements of the two that wouldn't want elements of the teenage teenager that wouldn't turn off the parent and elements that would appeal to the parent that doesn't turn off the teenager. And we kind of had that like space carved out. So once we knew that that's the space we had to work in, it really helped. So I would say like the best advice ever would be like, for me is like figure out who your target demographic is. Like um, how old are they? What Mm -hmm. cities do they live in? What music do they listen to? Where do they go shopping? Who are their 
idols. Like we went through celebrities and we're like, this is the types of celebrities who they would be inspired by. These are the types of books they would read. Like the more work you can do into like figuring out that identity, um, the easier the rest will be because um, it really allows you to like create guidelines for your, you to stay within. Yeah, I, I like this approach of doing the research to see what other things they're interested in. So once you do know what celebrities they, they follow, what books they read, what movies or TV shows that, they, that they're watching, how do you actually boil this down into like some kind of, I guess, document or boil this down into something that that's tangible so that you can work off of? So um, once we have that, I guess we, we kind of moved on to like our, our mission statement, like who we are and what we do. Um, and we basically said, like, we believe that um, we should kick ass uninterrupted by blood, sweat, and tears, um, which basically means that we really believe that everyone should be living their best life and um, that things that happen to you, like your period, um, you have an emotional day or you, like, you know, you're a, you have a busy lifestyle that involves, like, um, you know, working out and then going to work and then like taking care of a family. So this even applies to Nick's wear, like those things shouldn't stand in your way. And that's always what Nick's wear has been about. And same thing with Nick's team, like basically your period shouldn't stand in your way of um, doing whatever you want. And from there, we came up with the identity of the person. And that's like the passion is badass. That's something that we call our customers, both our teen customers and our like older customers or our moms. Um, so they're people who are really passionate about something in their life. Um, they care deeply about what they do. Um, and, and they like are not afraid to vocalize it. So our, our brand is not somebody who's shy or like... Um, isn't going to tell you exactly what they think all the time. So once we figured that kind of person out, it was easy to like speak from their voice um, and create a brand that spoke to them. Got it. So once you have your mission statement and you have your demographic figured out and you have in your head the ideal customer for, for next teen, how does this all get used on a day-to-day basis when you are going through things like creating copy or creating social media content or creating graphics and designs for, for the website? How does it all get used on a day-to-day basis, the, particularly the, the mission statement that you come up with? How often do you use that? Um, the mission statement um, in the person, they, they're basically like the, the guiding principle to everything that we do. So, I mean, I'm not like looking at them all day, every day, but whenever we just approach anything new, like if it's an advertisement, a photo shoot, um, we're launching a new page on our website, any sort of new marketing campaign, like I always do go back and reference the original documents we created, which is like you know, maybe like a five page, like PDF that it has our, our mission statement, what the passionate badass is, um, who she is, what her values are, who she would follow on social media and what, what she would be kind of doing every day. And I always go back and reference it before I put anything out there just to make sure that everything's still aligned. And it kind of like re-centers you in your thoughts um, when you're trying to come up with something new, that you don't go too far off the map, that your existing customers and people you've already engaged are going to be like, I don't recognize you. I don't know who you are. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's really something that you use to kind of like center yourself all the time. Yeah, so this sounds like something you went through as a company with Nixware. 
when you are deciding to stick to your core values or should you evolve? In, in the case of Nick's teen, it, it gave birth essentially to Nick's teen where you decided that you want to stick to the core values or Nick's wear. Let's create a, a brand new identity for, for, for this other demographic. Now, in your case, now that you're, now that you're running Nick's teen and you have these core values, I think, you know, in, in this day and age, you, you have to be flexible. You have to evolve with the, the changing demographics and changing uh, a market. How do you think about when you should evolve or when you should, should change the, the, the values or the, the, the mission statement even uh, of your business? What I try to do is like um, basically based on, on me, like <laughs> and my, my coworkers, I feel like we, we can all kind of sense when we get sick of something. Um, like we don't want to over, overuse anything too much. And at a certain point um, when, you know, like we have to produce so much content, that's kind of the, like the reality of having a business and a, an online business is that you need to be producing new content every day. So you can imagine like things do get stale pretty quickly. So I kind of just feel if I personally start to feel like I'm kind of sick of us using this color or, or, you know, using this tone of voice, I, I want to change it up a little bit, or I feel like we can push this further. Um, maybe we're playing it too safe with our approach to something. Um, I usually get a second opinion from people in the office and if they think it's true and they are, they're sick of it, then I, I know for sure that I'm right because I'm seeing it every single day. Um, my coworkers in the office who are working on Nixware, they're seeing it like a couple times a week. They're thinking about it. So I'm like, okay, so then I'm right. If I, if I'm, mm-hmm. if I'm feeling sick of it and people who aren't dealing with it every day are, then, then I feel confident that it's time to change things up and to, to push things further. And also another thing is that I, I always look for things that are working really well. Like every week I kind of look at like, what's our best performing content on social media, which emails are doing the best, what, what are our customers responding the most to um, in terms of advertising as well. And I always think like, how can we push this further? So just focusing in on what's working and, and figuring out which element of say an ad is working. And then I'm like, okay, um, let's think about how we can like pull that, that winning element out and even develop it further. Hmm. So, when you, you mentioned that that you look at the, the the I'm assuming some kind of data to determine what's working, well, what tools are you using to to uh, to do this kind of analysis? Yeah, so um, with with our like with everything that we use, um, usually it comes with like an um, an analytical mm-hmm. portion to it. So um, we use like well, first of all, I use my Shopify website. And I use like the report section of the Shopify website to see which products are selling best. Um, and we, even though we don't have a, a huge range of products, we do have two different styles. Um, so I can always know what customers are looking at the most and which ones they're purchasing the most. I use Google analytics, um, a lot to look at customer activity on our website. Um, and then with social media, we use, um, Sprout social and we use Grum. Um, so we look a lot at like what's performing, um, what's getting the most likes and the highest engagement. I also really, really love social blade. Um, just to check like daily followers um, and how our growth is going on like a day by day basis. It has amazing tools and it's great because you can look at your competitors too. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, it's all the different things we use. We use Klaviyo for email and they have great analytics about open rates, click rates. And um, because it plugs right into Shopify, you can see the results of all your email campaigns. Um, And then there's also just like basic like social listening too. Like there's some things you can't measure. So even 
if I'm super busy, I still try and make time to actually go and read comments um, on our social media and on our, our advertisements and just see like what people are noticing and picking up on. Um, I think just honestly going through and reading comments, you can learn so much from it. And it's like something everyone should spend Mm -hmm. at least, you don't want to become obsessed with it, but like a portion of your day, like listening to the actual words of your customers who are going to go and like take the time to leave a comment. Yeah, I think it's useful that you mentioned that you focus specifically on what's working. So if people are commenting uh, positive things about a specific piece of content you posted on Instagram or they're viewing a particular product uh, often on, on the site, you try to make it or push it further. I think those were your words. What does it mean to you when you when you say that you want to put specifically to content, whether it be on social media or through email marketing? What does it mean to to push what you find that is working to push it further? So, I mean, it, it's different in each piece of content. Like, I guess, like, one example is with um, online advertising. So, like, our advertisements on social media, like Facebook and, like, Instagram. And um, one thing that comes up so often is um, in a lot of advertisements for, like, menstrual products, it's a big thing that companies always use, like, a blue or, like, a clear liquid to um like in the place of menstrual blood Mm -hmm. and it's like it's received like uh, a ton of criticism online and um so in a lot of our original advertisements we like made a point not to actually use like Mm -hmm. this blue liquid that everyone criticizes all the time um and people were like oh i'm so happy they're not using blue liquid we used others kind of like ways to assimilate like menstruation and i was thinking okay people keep commenting on that um saying like that's great. And I was like, what else can we do? Like maybe let's actually use red liquid in our advertisements um, and see how that does. And then since we did that, like everyone has commented, like I'm, I'm so happy a company is finally showing what periods are actually like, and they're not using blue liquid. They like would say like, Oh, like they think periods are basically Windex. Like <laughs> people would leave comments like that. So it made me feel like, okay, we're kind of doing something right. And we're, we're representing the customer in a way that they're appreciating and they, and they enjoy. So that was like one good version, I guess, of like us pushing things forward into a direction that um, I felt like was already working for us and just pushing it a little bit further. It might have been like kind of taboo to use red, red mm-hmm. liquid, but based on what customers were saying and what I could see was working, I felt like it was a safe move for us and something that our customers would appreciate and something that we all thought was the right way to do it. So, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think two things, two important things you said there. The the first thing was that you, it, it sounded like at least that you didn't even just look at the content that you're producing. You're seeing what p- other people were complaining or voicing their concerns about on other on other products, on other platforms, you're looking elsewhere outside of what you're producing to see what people like and don't like and then bringing that in-house and then updating your ads to to reflect those kind of comments even though they weren't a part of your uh, you know, your content strategy. And then the second thing you mentioned was that you you took you took a look at what worked and then you try to, I, I think it makes sense exactly what you're saying, you try to push it further by trying to figure out what is the angle that people are are interested in what do they particularly like and then 
try to make that more front and center. In your case, period blood not being blue and maybe being red and trying to push that even further. I think a lot of times when people are thinking about testing ads or A-B testing, they, they just try to, th- to test so many different things out rather than try to see how far one particular variable can, can go. And I think that that's what, you, what you're doing with those ads. So I think that's a, a really important approach that you try to see what's already working and isolate it and see if, it, if, that is that partic- if that particular change or that particular approach or that particular messaging to the same problem that other people are seeing is what is resonating with your audience. Yeah, definitely. And like, I think also just not being like afraid to try something mm-hmm. that might be like a little bit like riskier. I think some people like, uh, might feel like I want to, you know, protect my business. And I'm, I'm a little like when it comes to AB testing, people sometimes make like very small changes. I notice, um, like really tiny things. And I just don't think it's really worth it to do like an AB test or a test at all, unless you're actually going to make a big change. Like you don't have to change everything, but change one thing, but change it in a big way because little tiny changes on tests, it takes a ton of time to actually produce a video and create it and everything. So when you do it, you like, I would hope that like I would do something kind of big with it um, rather than make a small change. I would only get, get a tiny incremental benefit for what will actually be like a lot of hard work to like create a true AB test. Yeah, speak of A/B tests. Do you do you have like a a formalized process for coming with things to test and then testing it, or is it kind of just like you know run and gun where you come up with an idea, you guys put it together real quickly and throw it out there and see what happens? Like, what's your process for testing what what works and what doesn't work? Um, like again, it, it's pretty different on different platforms. I mean, with our email marketing, that's like a really easy way to do A/B tests. So. Um, in terms of like subject line and images and content, you can like schedule them into your emails and um, do an A-B test where you only send a, like um, certain emails to a portion of your audience and mm-hmm. the winner will be sent to the majority of your um, list. But um, for other things, I mean, we just keep a really close eye on like our website analytics. So um, every single day we, we are tracking like um, visitors and conversion rate and how different pages are performing Um and how different sources of traffic are performing. So whenever we make a change, we're able to kind of look back at every day prior to that um, and see what like our, our benchmark was and then um, see how that change affected it. And um, just by keeping a really close eye and measuring everything and just taking the time to pull those analytics um, into a spreadsheet every single day and like look at them, um, when you make a change, it's really easy to track it um, and see how it will affect like your key metrics. Mm. Now, are there dedicated team members for Nixware and Nixteen, or is there pretty heavy overlap between the two different companies, two different brands? So right now, um, for for Nixteen, we just hired a second person. Um, I think she started like uh, halfway through December. Mm-hmm. So now there's two of us. Um, but prior to that, um, I was just working on Nixteen on my own. Um, and at our whole company, there's about, I think we just hit like over 25 employees. But um, yeah, the most of them work on the Nixware side mm-hmm. and the two of us now work on, on Nixteen. Um, yeah. yeah. So now that you, you've been a, a part of a very small brand, the one that you're, you're creating, and then of course the bigger brand uh, with, with Nixware, what do you find 
is the best way to move as a unit because I think that all the things you're saying about looking at the data and making adjustments as you go along are all important um, things to do. And I think it's, it's, it's much easier when it's just one person, right? You don't have to talk to anyone else to 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 uh, implement your changes. Maybe if it's even a, a second person, it's not that bad. But then once it's a larger team, it sounds like it might be more difficult to to make these changes quickly. What's the, What's been your experience so far with uh, spreading the the difference or the changes that you want to make uh, with the messaging or the content strategy? Yeah, like I I'm pretty lucky I would say because I get like the most of the best of both worlds right now. So I because the Knicks team team is really small, um, I don't need to go through tons of people to get everyone on the same page. If we want to make a change, um, I can just talk to. Um, the one person who works with me on Nick's team. And prior to that, I just would decide on my own. And then I get the benefit of the fact that I can also work with Nick's where um, developers, they have two um, full-time developers. And um, so we can like implement changes very quickly. Um, so I have like the resources of a big team, but none of like the, mm-hmm. the I guess like, ye- I want to say yellow tape because they don't even have yellow tape. They're still pretty <laughs> small, but none of the like long wait times and like rounds of mm-hmm. approval that you would need to go through to get something done. So it's, it's really amazing. Like it made me realize if, if Nick's where I wasn't there, I would definitely go the route of like outsourcing everything mm-hmm. because I think it's awesome to have this ability to like come up with an idea and then have it be executed very quickly by another team and where they're only given like the key information in order for them to do what they need to do. Um, it really allows you to move really quickly. So it's almost like I outsource some things to Nixware, but I wouldn't really say that because mm-hmm. I work with them very closely and, and we're friends and we know each other, of course, like they're my right. coworkers too, but it, it is a good method. It's like, a, it's a nice model for like a, a small, a small business, I would say. How, how do you decide what you want to delegate versus, or not want to, but what, how do you decide what you should be delegating versus what you keep to yourself it's really it's actually really tough like i'd say like um i try too much probably like do everything myself because you get used to being um like a really small team of like one or two people where you just try and take on everything yourself but there's just certain things i i really like can't do because i don't have like the expertise in it so like the main thing would be like the work that our developers do like i i don't do um like i'm i don't code and i don't have experience with that so I I obviously have to go to them and I work with them, but a lot of things um, I sort of picked up like myself. So I do all of our design, like our graphic design for Nixteen as well right now. Um, So I've been designing like for a couple of years and I mostly just picked that up so that we could move faster and um, be able to like create more content more quickly and make changes to our website more quickly. So I, I try and whenever I need something done, I like do a balance of like, if I can figure it out myself mm-hmm. first, that's always like my first option. I'm like, okay, can I just learn to do this myself? If I'm realizing that it's taking way more time and the results are not good enough for me doing it myself, then I go to like the expert. Yeah. <laughs> um, Cause sometimes you'll think, okay, I'll just do this myself. And then you, you start working on it and you're like, Oh, time. And it, it isn't even half as good. So like it's, it's worth it to either spend the money on it um, or spend the time having to communicate with someone else and, and send them all the information and, and, ha- and ask them if they can help you with that. Mm. So it's just like the balance of mm-hmm. seeing like, you know, the time and, and the cost and the benefit of it all. 
Got it. So one thing you were saying earlier was about how you had to appeal to both the the parents, the the, the mom, and also uh, the, the the daughter or the, the teen that's buying or that's using the product. How do you weigh which one is more important? Is it the end consumer, the the teenager in this case, or the the, the person with the, the 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 money, the buyer, the the parents in this case? How do you decide which one is more in your experience? Which one is more important to focus on? So um, that was like, oh, it, it kind of, we got to this point where we are now with a lot of trial and error. So we really w- had no idea what was going to happen when we launched the brand in terms of like who was going to be buying the product, who was going to be the our number one customer um, and who we should spend time advertising to. So um, traditionally, because Nick's where like our products are made for adults, um, we marketed in a certain way like a lot of our marketing was done through um, paid um, advertising on Facebook and Instagram and Google a lot of like direct marketing to our our like customers and when we launched the brand we thought okay so we're going to direct market to like moms and then we're also going to do the same thing to teens and we were like we'll see who wins basically and what what's the difference and what we realized after like a while and like spending money and, and trying to see if it would work is that like um, of course, like teenagers, um, they don't have access as easily to credit cards. And even though there's like a lot of talk about how like teenagers are now buying a lot of stuff online and they're getting into e-commerce and shopping online, like I think still there's something like 80% or more of all the um, shopping done by teenagers is still with cash. So like teenagers still are going to the mall and using cash to buy what they want. It's um, So it took us a while to like realize that they weren't going to be the same as our, our next work customers. We were going to have to kind of approach them in a different way. So um, after a while, we kind of stuck to using that like traditional model that we had used with Nixware, which is um, doing a lot of direct marketing through paid social media advertising and really targeting um, moms um, with teenage um, children. And like, that's a great way to acquire customers really quickly in a direct way. And then for teenagers, we had to kind of say, okay, the buying cycle is longer. Um, they don't have access to a credit card as easily. And also the other thing, like they don't have disposable income. Like our products are not very inexpensive. Like they are nice products and they're, they're not super cheap. So like um, a teenager may not have $17 to spend on, on like underwear. That might be like their babysitting money, all their babysitting money. But like they love the function of it. They love the purpose of it. They think it's so cool and they're really excited about it. Like they would respond like crazy to our advertising, but they would be commenting like, I can't buy this. Like I don't have a credit card. (laughs) So we're like, okay, let's try and get teenagers more to like ask their parents for it than thinking that they're going to buy it right when they see an advertisement for it. So um, after a little bit of time, we just started to realize that teenagers needed a different approach and we started to spend less money on them up front for acquisition and kind of try and engage them more slowly over a longer period of time. Um, we spent we started spending money on things like uh, social media influencers and YouTube reviews is like really, really big for teenagers. Um, as you can probably imagine, they spend a lot of time on YouTube and um, yeah, creating more like engaging content, engaging them over a longer period of time and having them follow us on social media um, and educating them. And then eventually we, we like send many messages on like how to ask your parents for this product. Cause a lot of them do want it, but they might be actually 
too shy or maybe embarrassed or they're not yet ready to have this Mm -hmm. conversation with their parents. So we do think like not just to buy our product, it's a good idea to have this conversation with your parents about, um, you know, what you might be going through or what you need and how they can support you on your period. So we do encourage that conversation um, and we try and make it easy for kids to ask their parents to buy the product for them. Um, And usually I think in other cases, I would feel like, a little bit uncomfortable with that, asking kids to go to their parents and ask mm-hmm. them to buy a product for them. But it's it's really great that we can feel okay with this because we know this product actually is something that um, can save you money long term. Um, it's like great for your self esteem, and we feel like it's really good for confidence building. And it's something that we I feel really confident saying that um, you know everybody will benefit from having this product, mm-hmm. both the parent and and the um, teenager. So, so the when you are advertising to to the teenagers, the goal is to get them to ask their parents to to basically use their credit card or get them to to buy it for for the teenager. And are you essentially arming them with ways to help convince their parents to to buy it as well? Or what's the kind of content that's in the ads themselves? For sure. So, um, one thing that we did is actually on our website. On the product page, we put um, a button below, like, add to cart, and we created, like, a share bag button. It will automatically, like, open up your email, and there's a, there's a pre-written email that explains what the product is, how it works, what the benefit is to parent, and then also to a teenager, um, and a link to the website. So we've written it out in a way that makes it, we hope that it won't be uncomfortable for, for um, teenagers to send it to their parents and ask them about this product. And we've kind of done that work for them. Um, and then they can really easily send it to their parents and be like, look at this thing I found online. This is what I'm interested in right mm-hmm. now. Um, so that share bag button has helped a lot with having them be able to actually share the, their interest in it with their parents. Um so that's one thing. And then also just in our, our email messaging, like we always make, sh- make sure to say like no credit card, like you can forward this to a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, like we encourage them to share it with their parents if it's something that they want. And we also create content for social media just with tips on how to bring up, not even just periods, like all different types of maybe more difficult conversations that you'd have with your parents and try and like educate teenagers just in general on like how to speak to their parents about these types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and just so they can feel more comfortable um, with that relationship and and what's going on with their in their lives. Yeah, I think that's beautiful that you are encouraging them to talk to their parents about just be, just be more open with them. I think that's a great cause. Um, so this this share bag uh, functionality, I, I love it that you're able to take remove a lot of the friction that would typically come with a teenager having to ask their parents or having a, te- having a teenager uh, being able to buy a product online. Uh, is this like a is this like a um, a tool that you're using or is it custom? How is it built? So yeah, that that was uh, something that was built by our developer. So um, there probably there might be an app that you could use, and mm-hmm. it's not like a super complicated thing. Basically, it's just a link that that when you click the button, the link opens up a pre-populated email, like in in your um, either on your mail app or on your on your desktop computer. Um, another thing that we did that I, I actually just thought of is we were also using Amazon Pay on our website. Um, so something just from like doing research into like the, the team market is that 
um, even if teens don't have credit cards, like um, their families can sometimes share an Amazon account. So we're just always looking for ways to make it more accessible for teenagers and and easier for them to purchase it. Because they they might not even want to send that email to their parents. Um, Like that might even be something that they don't feel comfortable doing yet. So if they have, they are in a household where they're allowed to make purchases on an Amazon account, then then we want to make that easy for them too. So so that's another another way that we're trying to um, make it easy for them to purchase. Yeah, I like that the Amazon Pay because you're basically are able to store a credit card on there. They're using like a family computer or they're using a family Amazon account that credit card information is already in there, so that they don't have to ask their parents. They can just use that instead and make the purchase that way. Uh, and do you have the data on how often people are clicking on the share bag button compared to like the add to cart or or whatever button that it's it's right next to? Yeah, I mean, um, we're definitely seeing people click on it. Like, it's it's in use, for sure. Um, unfortunately, the way we set it up, actually, in the email, is that we can't track direct purchases from that link because um, it would involve putting a, a UTM, like a, a hidden UTM, in mm-hmm. the email that's then sent to their parents. And we just want to be really transparent with the email, we don't want them to get an email with a, a sketchy, like a longer URL in right. the email. Um, we want them to know that that this is a company that you can trust. Um, that that isn't isn't uh, you're not getting spam basically from your from your kids. So we don't yet track the direct um, the the direct like share bag to purchase. But we see that lots of people who are coming to our website are clicking onto that um, share share bag button. We also have our email list segmented. Um, when people sign up for our email list, we ask them if they're a teen or a parent, so we can see what portion of our email list are teens, and then how many of the teens who come to our website sign up for our email list are purchasing. And it's definitely a growing segment, um, and and it just takes a little bit longer. We find like they don't have the the credit card just sitting there ready to buy. Um, they also maybe aren't, don't know how it works right away. It, I, I'd rather like us kind of um, nurture that, that relationship and share information. And then when they're comfortable enough to ask for it, um, they'll do it. Um, and that's kind of the way it's been working so far. Got it. And so it sounds like uh, targeting uh, parents of teens is a bit easier because I think that that's actually a targeting uh, parameter that's available on some of the, the advertising platforms. So you are targeting these these parents uh, of teens and what's what's that content like? What, what do you focus on when you are uh, selling to to um, a parent, the buyer, but not the actual end consumer? Yeah, for sure. It, it's very different. So um, one thing we noticed right away is there always is a slight drop when you're targeting um, someone who isn't the end consumer, like not saying that they won't buy in our Facebook advertising, Instagram advertising to parents is performing very well, but um, you have to get used to the fact that they, they aren't the ones they're not buying it for themselves. So you have to kind of like change your language a little bit. So we do try and focus on the elements of the underwear that make parents lives easier. Um, Things like, it will actually save you money because um, it's a reusable product. Um, and then the fact that it's a reusable product is also a lot better for the environment. Um, it's machine washable or you can wash it by hand um, and you're just using less disposable products. So like that's a more like a universal value that the parents have as well in terms of like um, being eco-friendly and, and have producing less waste. So we try and focus on those elements a lot when we talk to parents 
Um, parents, one thing that most parents care about is like the well-being of their children. And we talk about how, you know, period leaks are a stressful thing and teenagers today still are anxious and stressed about it on top of like everything else they have to worry about, like, um, you know, school grades and bullying and peer pressure, like period leaks is also a, a major stressor for, for teenagers. And it like, it really like shouldn't be like, it, it doesn't really need to be is basically what we're saying. So we try and speak language that will like, you know, um, impact the parents and make them realize kind of the benefit of this product to their lives as well as, as um, the end consumer too. I, I love that, that you are creating content that touches on the direct needs and problems and, and pains of the buyer rather than saying, buy this for your teenager because your teenager will love it for these reasons. You don't even go that far because even though you know parents love their their children it's not as direct as talking about what's actually more directly impacting the parents like the cost of having to uh, the cost savings of using a product like yours of, of making sure that their their children are happy like these are 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 pains that are directly impacting the parents and you're focusing on those pains of the buyer rather than trying to sell the features of uh, of the product even though the features of the product are what the end consumer cares about. You don't even need to focus on that because it's not nearly as effective or as important as focusing on the more direct pains and problems that you are trying to solve for, for the buyer. Exactly. And like, we didn't know that right away from the beginning. Like the only reason we know this now is like just testing, like just mm-hmm. like trial and error of like, we started out showing advertisements that, that literally had teenagers in them and like was really, really about, how teenagers feel when they have their period and we're showing it to parents and we just like tweaked mm-hmm. it um, more and more to kind of narrow in on what is the value for the parents. And that's how we kind of got to where we are now. Got it. And you mentioned that YouTube has also been a, a great platform for you to get the, the word out for, for the, for the products. And do you work with like reviewers or who are you working with on, on YouTube to, to help spread the word? So, um, we we send our product to tons of different people on YouTube. Like obviously we try and stay within the teen demographic. So, so we look for people who, um, you know, teenagers would be watching um, other teenagers. Uh, like one thing that we do actually, because like I, I do watch YouTube content, but like, I don't consider myself like an expert on what teenagers like to mm-hmm. watch on YouTube. So um, we actually uh, like, Lots of people in our office have like younger sisters and cousins. So we really like to work with teenagers themselves and have them like tell us what they like. So over the summer, we have like internships and part-time jobs for, um, you know, friends and family of the business who were nice. teenagers and they were done school and they came in and they would just um, help us like kind of navigate the space and show us like who are the best YouTubers who would be interested in reviewing this product who number one, aren't afraid to like, speak about periods openly and honestly and like um and who are youtubers who you think are interesting um and you look up to and and you think would be good ambassadors for the brand basically and that's how we found out like who to send the product to was actually through teenagers themselves told Mm -hmm. us um like uh friends friends of ours and 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 stuff like that so that that was like really really helpful in understanding like the social media space because um, as much as I try to, it, it moves so fast and there's right. just so many influencers in like the teen, um, social media space that 
like no one really knows better than teenagers themselves. <laughs> so you find that these these channels that are going to be there are potentially good ambassadors. Do you just send them a message? How does it work? How do you how do you begin talking to a, a YouTuber to to get them to uh, try the product that were to review the product? Um, yeah, so we, we basically get their contact information from their, like either their website or their YouTube page. And then we email them and we, we've kind of like written like a concise sort of pitch on like who we are and what we do. I think the thing that really stands out is that this is like a unique product. Um, the people who write back usually write back being like, whoa, this is like so crazy. Like I've never heard of this. This is really cool and, and different. Like, I think this is actually going to like stand out on my YouTube channel. So um, that's been really beneficial. And the fact that like a lot of times you're basically just cold emailing people, but because we have a product that um, they haven't seen a lot of other people talk about and um, they actually are like, this is a really cool idea. And I think like a lot of my audience who are like teenagers themselves will actually like this. And, and a lot of, um, if you go on YouTube, there's like tons of content about periods um, and puberty and growing up, like, I think teenagers are looking for people who they can relate to and who are going through similar things. So um, our products fit in really well with um, with YouTubers and what kind of content they're looking to create. So yeah, just like a cool email. And we were lucky enough that a lot of people responded back enthusiastically being like, I really do want to try this. And, and I think my audience will find it interesting. So I want to talk a little bit about the store, the website itself. And you mentioned that you do a lot of the, the, the design for, for Nick's teen. Were you involved in the design of the website as well? Um, I was a little bit, but like the majority, like the core, the homepage um, and the product pages were designed by the agency we worked with. Mm-hmm. But since the initial launch, like um, we've, like we've changed a lot of it. So anytime we, we um, have launched new pages and, um, we've redesigned a lot of elements of different pages. So those, those portions I've worked on sort of like, um, the changes and optimizations. Yeah. I like the, the, the navigation on the top, but there are some ones that stand out that are, some are, are on other sites that I've seen, but some are obviously not on other sites that I've seen. I like the, how it works, why Nick's teen, the period talk, and then also just a, a cate- a category or a link up top for, for reviews. Did you, what was the, the decision behind having these up here? Or at least based on your experience so far, how have having these links in the navigation helped the, the sales for the, for the site? Yeah, so we've like played around with them a bunch and, and we've changed them up like uh, at different periods to see like what works. But we always try and keep a balance between like um, selling people the product. So of course, like we put the shop menu there so people can easily navigate to the product page and buy things. But we also want to make sure we have that content there. So like period talk and how it works, like um, under period talk, we get into lots of other topics surrounding periods and it's more of like an educational page um, for our younger audience to come to. So um, we really want to keep a balance between like people who shop, but we also want our website to in some ways be a destination for information about periods. So we're thinking about those customers who don't have a credit card right the first time they come to the website, but we still want to deliver some value to them. So we keep a balance um, there. And then the review section is like um, really, really important. So uh, like one of the best things for our website has been our customer reviews because a lot of people, when they hear about our product or see an advertisement, it really do what it says it does. Like, does it work? 
So people go to the review section um, and they spend a lot of time on that page and people um, need to kind of hear validation from like real customers that it works. Um, and we have like over like 150 reviews and like um, almost all of them are five-star reviews. So uh, it really, really helps people um, and it answers a lot of their questions too. So the reviews one we added recently and it's become a really like um, one of our top most visited pages and then our product pages, like people, um, we actually have watched people go on the website and they always scroll down to the reviews. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you, what do you find that new visitors usually spend most of their time uh, on the site? Um, on the review section, actually. So like we, we have this um, app I think it's called Lucky Orange, mm-hmm. I think is the name of it. And yep. um, you can you can watch people on your website kind of interact with it and use it. Like it, it, it takes small videos of like where, where they click and, and where they spend time. And we can just see that like new people who come to our website, they always are going to, to the reviews first. And I, I think that's common on probably most websites. But if you have like a functional product and you're making a promise about it, especially like our promise is pretty like bold and it's around a really sensitive subject for people um people really want to make sure that um it does what it says it's going to do and they want to see that other customers are satisfied with their order so um that that review section is really important for us Mm -hmm. so you mentioned a few tools and apps along the way on this podcast already are there any other ones that stand out to you that you use uh, whether they be on shopify or off of shopify to help run the business yeah, so for, for um, reviews, we use Yotpo. Um, that's, it has like a, a lot, a lot of tools for, like built into the app that have been super useful. Um, it's, it's great. It's really expensive, but I would still, I would say like maybe there's some other like inexpensive alternatives if you don't want to pay for that one. It's like a premium one, but having a reviews app has been like really good. Um, Shopify scripts has been amazing just because it, um, allows you to build so many different things that, um, if you have a developer in your team, like really like you can think of anything and and have it built onto your website. You're not just limited to apps. Um, you don't have to spend so much time experimenting with apps. You can make things really customized how you want it to be. Um, so a lot of what we do on our website now that we have a bigger team at Nixware is, is custom uh, built through Shopify scripts. Um, like we do a lot of bundling. So, so that's helped us a lot with bundling. Mm-hmm. Anything else? I'm trying to think we used to use a lot more apps when we were smaller. Like we would, we would experiment a lot mm-hmm. with apps, but we kind of like nailed down what, what we need. And then everything else is built through, through Shopify scripts. Got it. Yeah, those are great recommendations. So, you know, thank you so much for your time, Mary Rose. Nixteen, K-N-I-X-T-E-E-N.com is the website. Uh, what's next for, for you guys? Well, what's next for Nixteen? Well, right now, um, we're just working on creating new products. So, um, we have a lot of requests for, like, different colors in our underwear. And then, like, long term, we're, like, looking to move into bras as well. Um, so we really want to expand the product offering outside of underwear. Um, Nick's wear has had like amazing success with um, expanding into the bra category and creating really innovative bras. And we just basically, we basically want to kind of follow the same model with Nick's team. And we already have a lot of um, cool ideas for how we can make something really different in terms of bras for a team. Awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys come up with. Again, thank you so much for your time, Mary Rose. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast.
Here's a sneak peek for what's in store in the next Shopify Masters episode. One of the litmus tests for me was like showing up at a Toastmasters and just giving this feel on the product. And then I remember one individual going like, do you have any samples? Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial. Also, for this episode's show notes, head over to shopify.com slash blog.